right, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Psalm 1, the very first psalm. That's where we're going to be tonight. For those who are new, i.e. our sixth grader, seventh graders, nope, seventh, man, seventh graders, not sixth graders, our seventh graders, welcome to the group. We're super excited for you to be here. There's a few things I want to just talk about real quick for you guys. Normally, at this point, I'd give some announcements, but I don't really have any announcements, really, until our next events in November, which you should mark your calendars for to escalate. So November 4th and 5th, I think. That's off the cuff. I think it's November 4th and 5th. Um, that's going to be your first, like, big event that you're going to get to go to. So I would encourage you guys, if you're going to go, I tell students this anyway, not just the seventh graders. If you're a student in this group, that's the event that I want you guys at. If you go to any event, even like other than church camp, like I'd rather you be at Escalate. Um, so November 4th and 5th, that's going to be your first event. But since that's not until November, we don't really have that much. Heather, are you giving me a look? 5th and 6th? Ah, I was so close. I was so close. 5th uh, and 6th, so it's a weekend event. So, but other than that, we would be doing announcements, but right now I don't have any announcements. So I'm just going to tell you some stuff that you need to know as being new people in the group. First, at the very back, at the coffee bar, uh, one, you can buy stuff from there. So if you want to get soda and candy, you can buy stuff there. But also, at the very back, there's going to be, at the end of service, there's an iPad there. And then there's like a little bowl that has like some stickers and it has uh, some cards that you can give away or take to school and give to your friends. So this isn't just for seventh graders. This is for everybody now that we're back in school season. Uh, take those cards with you and hand them out. Give them out to your friends. Invite friends to church. That's one of the first things that we want to instill in you guys this semester is going to be, uh, so like even for Escalate, inviting people to Escalate. So grab, there's their little rubber band together. There's three of them. So grab them. They have some information on them, and there's a QR code, and then they can bring it back to get some free stuff. So take one of those. Take a sticker. They're free. I think there's other stuff in there too, but I don't remember. And there's lanyards too that are free. So if you want stuff like that, all the students that have been here already know about that. But if you're new, then you don't know about that. And then on the iPad, you can fill out a connection card if you're new, or there's a, we have a Riverstone student store, so if you want to buy shirts and stuff, that's also where you buy it. So that's kind of the lowdown of what, I don't, I don't say that every single week, that's just this week. With that being said though, we're going to be in Psalm, or Psalms, Psalm 1. The first psalm. I don't really know how to say that exactly, but Psalm 1. That's where we're going to be if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're going to start this fall a little bit differently than I'd said before. I said we're going to go to Ecclesiastes, and that is true. We are going to go through Ecclesiastes. But I sort of changed my mind and didn't want to just hop right into Ecclesiastes, specifically because I just the cool thing about my job is that at a church this size, is that no one really tells me like what to preach through. Like if I want to just like preach through something, I can. Like you can just do that. And I just had this impulse to preach through Psalm 1 because I think that it's really relevant to uh, this group as we're sort of starting, not just like with seventh graders coming in, but as like school is starting. I think it's a very relevant psalm to walk through. Now for Ecclesiastes, I would encourage you, like start studying it now. Like we're gonna go through it. For the seventh graders, like you picked a heck of a time to be a seventh grader because Ecclesiastes is an absolute trip of a book. But we're gonna go through it anyway. Um, so I'd encourage you to start studying that. But for this week, as we go back into this school year, I know that for some of you, like starting school, I don't, I don't know how people respond to school now, but like whenever I was in high school and especially in junior high, it was stressful. It was very, I was very anxious as school started. Like the, like the most stressful Maybe the most stressful moments of my life happened whenever I was trying to find a lunch table the very first day of school. Like, the most stressful thing. Like, I, it was terrible. It was terrible. And it was really weird. Like, I had a weird personality in high school because I played baseball. So, like, I had friends that were, like, like, in the cool group. I wasn't really in that group, super hardcore. But, like, I could just, like, sit with them. But I felt, like, super, like, self-conscious. And I was like, I don't know where to go. I don't know where to sit. So I was, like, really stressed for school. 
So that might be you. Um, I know that for others, like if you're a senior, because we just had a lot of seniors leave, but some of us are now seniors. I know you might already be done with school. Like, I think that I said something about school, and you immediately were just like, ah, ah. Yeah, so you might, you might already have the, what is it, the spring, senioritis, yeah. You already might have senioritis the first day. What? I had the first day of freshman year. The fir- <laughs> senioritis? That's not allowed to happen. There's no way you had it the first day of freshman year. That's different than senioritis. That's different. That's, that's going into freshman year and not wanting to be in high school. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, no, but like you guys might already be done. You might be counting down the days. Uh, but it's crucially important for us to not like run out of gas like before we even start this process. So I think what sort of happens during the school year whenever school starts is we get back into the sort of rhythm of life. Right, And it's, it's sort of chaotic at the very beginning. And what happens is we start to not necessarily run out of, like, we're not super tired necessarily, like you might be, I don't know, like some of you might be super tired. But you get into this like crazy season, this crazy start of school, and you sort of leave all, like the ch- church, you leave your spiritual disciplines, that sort of stuff behind as you're trying to compensate, just trying to survive the school year. And I don't want to do that. I don't wanna, we don't want to run out of gas before we've even started, especially like if we come back from camp, we have like all this momentum, and this is what I talk about with camp, of, like the, of wanting to avoid this, this like valley of like we were so pumped getting back from camp, but now school starts, and school is not fun all the time. So I don't want to do that. The psalm, this idea of the, or the idea of this psalm is really, really simple. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but instead he plants himself like a tree in the word of God. Like, that's a super simple concept. I like to poke fun sometimes, like the arbitrary, like, dates or, in, like, beginnings and ends that we put to dates. So, like, right now, it's just a Wednesday. Like, it's a normal Wednesday. But for us, it's different because you go to school. So, this is a really good example of what adulthood is like. For me, this is a totally normal Wednesday. Like, I have no... Like, no, like, higher level of stress today than any other Wednesday. In fact, if I wasn't, like, in this role, I would have literally no idea that school was starting. Like, I would just not, like, that would not be on my radar. Just a normal Wednesday for me. So, not, like, it's just a normal, it's just another Wednesday for you. So, if you're, like, really anxious, like, just realize that. It's just another Wednesday. You're going to survive. But because it's a school year, because it's a new year, it feels new. Camp is the same way. We go to camp and feel like something new is happening. For the Christian, we shouldn't read, we're going to read this text, we shouldn't read it like, oh, what a great way to start the school year. I should not walk in the ways of the wicked, but I should, I should read my Bible every single day and I'll be blessed because of it. It's a great way to start the school year. We should read that as a Christian every day. So like if I came into church like every Wednesday and just preached this over and over again, I don't think it would be super inappropriate. Like, I think that that should be the mentality. This is one of my absolute favorite psalms because it's such a simple uh, look at what the Christian life is supposed to be. That for the person who doesn't walk in the way of the wicked, they are blessed. The person who, who, uh, re- who studies the scriptures, who meditates on the Lord day and night is like, a, is like a tree planted next to streams of water. It's such a simple concept. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but delights in the law of the Lord. R. Kent Hughes, he, he starts, this is the first psalm, obviously, so his commentary on the psalms starts with a very simple question about this psalm. He says, what makes you happy? But that's kind of what the question that he poses, what makes you happy? The word blessed that we see in this psalm, it starts with blessed is the man. It speaks of long-term happiness, not short-term so when it says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, he's not saying like for a moment, like blessed for a moment. He's talking about long-term happiness, long-term contentment. The counsel of the wicked, the ways of sinners, it will surely bring happiness for a moment. 
Like it will bring happiness. It will bring satisfaction for a moment, maybe a day, maybe even longer than that. But blessing is a divine thing. It's a longer thing. What, 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 God, what this author is going to ask us to do in this, from this psalm is to forego the momentary blessing of wickedness because the long-term blessing of following the Lord, of planting ourselves like a tree next to the streams of living water is worth it. It's so much better. When we seek the Holy Spirit, when we, speak, when we spend time in God's word, when we plan ourselves in God's will, as we talked about all through Acts, contentment is what's going to follow. So we're going to start by reading Psalm 1. We're going to read all the way through it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the, way, in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful uh, for this evening, thankful for the start uh, of, this, of the school year, of this new season for our group as seventh graders come in. I just pray that for, in, in this room for people that are maybe anxious about the start of school, or maybe overwhelmed by it, that we would be able to read this text, be able to store it away, not just for today, not just for the anxiety that we feel today, but that every single season we can come back to this text and see the blessings that follow the person who chases after you, who meditates on you day and night. Pray that you bless our evening together, that we be focused and undistracted, that you'd move me out of the way, Lord, and that we would just uh, glorify you in all that we do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this first thing that we see in this text is this blessed man. It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the seat, or what, stand in the way of sinners. The blessed man, he's, he's marked by a very specific contrast. So he doesn't walk in that council, but instead of that, he delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it daily. In the most basic sense, this is the life of the Christian, the way of righteousness. We run from wickedness and we run to the law of the Lord. So whenever we read the law of the Lord in this context, he means scripture. So he's not meaning, he, yes, he is meaning like the, act, like the law of the Lord, but specifically he's meaning the scriptures that were given to them. We run from wickedness and we turn to that scripture. So we have to look at this from two sides. First, we see what this blessed man doesn't do. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. This is very intentional writing from the author. It's very progressive. And I keep saying the author because I'm pretty sure it's David, but I also didn't double check before this moment. So I'm like 90% sure it's David, but I'm going to keep calling him the author. We'll call it good. Um, I didn't have to say that, but I did. I'm being honest, okay? No, but the way that I heard it is that it, it or the way that I heard it put best is that sin takes you from bad to worse. So the, the progress is happening here is that he first is, is walking in the counsel of the wicked, right? Then he stands and then he sits. Has anybody ever been to Bass Pro when they have the guy that's like trying to sell like the, what, timeshare stuff, right? You ever been there? You're walking by. What do they do? Anyone remember, know what they do when you're like walking by? Anyone ever had someone talk to him? Usually they'll just like, walk, it happened to me like this week. They'll just kind of walk right, along, like right alongside you. They'll have like a card or something. And like I'm walking and they're walking with me, right? Their goal is to get to sort of engage me and then get me to stop, right? To stand there and listen to him. That literally happened to me. But the funny thing is, as I'm standing there listening to him, I know I'm not going to like buy anything. 
I wasn't even there. I was there to pick something up. I had no interest in this. It was like a work. I was there for work. I was like, okay, I'm going to let you talk, but like, I'm about to leave. And I just kind of like entertained him there. But the goal is that I would stand there and listen to him to the point that I'm interested enough to go back with him to their little desk so I can sit down and buy this timeshare. That's the goal. Now, it's the same sort of thing that's happening here. The author starts small and ends big. Now, from a sin perspective, whenever I say that it's progressive, we rarely jump to the biggest sin. No one starts with like the worst possible sin. So if you think of even like, uh, like even in in the Bible, like whenever we see murderers in the Bible, I'm trying to think of one off, even David, let's think of David. David's a good example. David did not wake up the morning that he sent off Bathsheba's husband and get killed thinking, hey, I really want to have this guy killed. Like he didn't think that like, well, maybe he did that morning. He didn't think that at the beginning though. Like that wasn't what he, it progressed to that. It moved to that. It started by him taking steps, slowly moving into wickedness, slowly moving towards sin. We like to sort of dip our toe in the water of sin. That's what he means whenever he says that we, uh, whenever we walk in the counsel of the wicked, we're listening to the counsel of the wicked. This is especially relevant for people your age because this starts right like at this very moment for you guys. Like right now is whenever you're really gonna start to, to be, potentially be influenced by the counsel of, of, the, of the wicked. If I had, so for instance, if I had like said a curse word whenever I was a kid, like I would have gotten in some serious trouble. Like my mom was like, she didn't, she didn't mess around with that stuff. Like if I would have said that, I would have gotten so much trouble. But now if I said a curse word, which I don't, but if I said a curse word, most people would be like, okay, I mean, he's an adult. Like that, that's kind of normal, right? And that's kind of like even whenever you get to being a teenager, when you get to be an adult, that's part of what draws you to stuff like that. Whenever you like hadn't ever thought about cursing until you get to be an adult, it's because, oh, well, like I can do it now. Like I'm an adult. Like it's fine. Like I, I'm, it's not a big deal anymore. That's appealing to people. I, we're being enticed by our desire to sin, by our own wickedness that James talked about in James 1, that it's our own desire that pulls us towards sin. So as you get to choose, like my, big, my first choice, so for seventh graders in this room, you're gonna hear this, you're gonna start to hear like references pretty frequently because I like to use the same ones. But whenever I was a teenager, one of the first choices that I had was music. Like that was one of the first things that I was able to like get away from my parents on and listen to. And like that was like the most rebellious thing that I might've done in high school was like, I just listened to like, it was Blink-182, I'd listen to them. I was like, oh man, if, only, if my mom knew I was listening to this, like I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Right? Like, that was just my mindset. It wasn't necessarily, I mean, I liked them for their music, obviously, but, like, it, it, was, it was also just this rebellious streak in me. That, like, I knew that I could do that now. That, like, as, so as you get to choose music more, as you choose the apps you download on your phone or the friends that you keep, you're actively making a choice of whether or not you're going to walk in righteousness or whether or not you're going to walk in wickedness. And as you walk in it, you're going to start to feel the appeal of it. Right? So you start to walk. You're walking next to that salesperson. And then they say something like, oh, okay, I hear that. And you stop and listen to them. Now you're like standing. You're being influenced by them. Now you're starting, like the, the, the gears are going in your head thinking maybe they're right. Maybe this is something that I want to do. So as your friends like start to, as your friends are maybe, maybe they curse a ton. Or maybe they're like going to parties or doing all this sort of stuff. Like we're going to be enticed to do sort of the same thing. But we're going to be enticed by them. We begin to feel that desire to sort of stand with them in that. Arkin Hughes says that the word way refers to a lifestyle, a path you follow through life. Their sinful lifestyle becomes your lifestyle. Their attitude is your attitude. Their habits become your habits. So we begin to embrace. It says that we stand in the way of sinners. We start to embrace what these, what these 
uh, what the sinners are telling us, what they're beckoning us to do, what they're appealing to us to do. And then at the end of that, we wind up sitting in the seat of scoffers. That's like that final stage where you just give in to it, where you're just like, okay, this is what, this is what I am now. Like, I'm, I'm super okay with this. You surrender to it with no desire to be righteous. We might even, and this is something I think that Christians do more so than we might think, we're inclined to even mock Christians who are too faithful. Like, we'll mock Christians who are like, oh, there's too goody two-shoes, <laughs> right? And now there is a balance to that. There's obviously a balance to that. Like, for instance, I, I heard a story the other day of a guy that was allowed to wa- wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs because it was like witchcraft. I was like, okay, that's probably taking it too far. I think the Smurfs are fine. I think that's probably, I think God's okay with you watching the Smurfs. So I, I th- there's obviously a balance to that. But at the same time, Whenever somebody's genuinely pursuing righteousness and it just like is something that kind of pokes us the wrong way, we, we're, we might make fun of them for it, even as a Christian. I would venture to say that most of us sort of fall into that second category of standing in the way of sinners, where we're not necessarily all the way off the deep end, but we're, we're like listening, we're thinking, we're engaging, we're influenced by sin, we're influenced by the wicked around us, wickedness around us. But the author says instead that the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. This is the alternative. So what does he mean by delighting in the law of the Lord? Again, in the most basic sense, this verse means that the blessed man delights in God's word. The contrast is devotion to God's word. So where the world is calling you to wickedness, the psalmist is calling you to God's word, to the law that he presents. Now, the, the ironic thing about this message, the super ironic thing about this message, is about, honestly, one of the biggest Maybe practical points of this is going to be read your Bible, which seems like a super basic thing. Uh, and I think of that, that vine came to mind. I, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, no, but, but that's like the biggest practical point. Well, for the first time in, I don't know, the five-ish years that I've been preaching, I forgot my Bible today, which is super ironic. I don't have a physical Bible. I have my iPad, which makes me feel super uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's super ironic that I'm preaching about the importance of God's Word, and I totally just forgot my Bible at home. That was for free. But the author says that with this, this, this blessed man is, is delighted or delights in the law of the Lord, in God's word. I think that there are a lot of people that would attempt to say this verse means something more than it does because we often feel like God's word doesn't accomplish this. To delight in the Lord, we think, well, I don't really get delight from reading the scripture. You don't necessarily feel the same like delight in reading the scripture as you would maybe watching like a TV show or a movie. Because it's, I mean, it's, it's, I don't think that a lot of people get that reading just books in general. Maybe some people do. But we might think that it doesn't accomplish this. And to an extent, I, I think there's other ways to accomplish this whenever, like, we can, we can go to the Lord in prayer. We can go to him, like, in our worship music. There's so many ways we can go to the Lord. But on the other hand, a lack of love for the scriptures is going to be the, is the biggest downfall of Christianity. Like, a lack of desire to know the scriptures. Not because it's like this task not because it's just something that Christians are supposed to do, but because it's how we come to know and to love the Lord. The author says that the blessed man meditates on it day and night. Is that true of us? Obviously not. I think that's clear. Like, it's obvious that we don't meditate on these things. We meditate on a lot of things. Our heart bends towards a lot of things. But we shouldn't make excuses for ourselves. Like, how can I... How can I, like me, Ryan, like how can I say that I meditate day and night on the scriptures whenever every single like situation in my life pretty much just pings an office reference and not like scripture, right? Like there's a clear, like there's a clear problem here. 
Like even me, like I would, I would say like, like we, can, we can meditate on the Lord, we can delight in the Lord by reading the scriptures, but like my own life is marked by I know the office or I know Seinfeld or I know baseball like better than I know God's word. Like there's a constant like dilemma, there's a constant tension in us of like it's not possible, there's no way, I can't do it day and night. I'm like, why well, do it day and night with the office, right? Like I do it day and night with other things. I meditate day and night on other things very easily and I don't sit there thinking, well, I can't do that. I can't possibly meditate on the office enough to know every single scene, like, but I do it. So we shouldn't necessarily, we shouldn't make excuses for us. This isn't to like beat us down, but at the same time, the, the, whenever we say like, well, why don't we read scripture? I don't have time. I don't, we do. We absolutely do have time. It's just about a desire. What Christians sometimes fail to see and the reason I think that they struggle to read the Bible is that it isn't just this learning experience, although we do learn from it. We're not just supposed to learn about God so we can pass some like test about him. Reading scripture is a posture that allows him to work in us, like supernaturally. So look at verse three. The author says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The author states that the blessed man who meditates on God day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water. Full disclosure, this is one of my absolute favorite like, verses. I say that a lot. I say that I like, this is one of my favorite things. I love this verse. I say that a lot, but this is truly like one of my like, top five. Verse three is one of my top five favorite verses in all of scripture. There's so much here. Like, there's so much goodness here, but it establishes a very important aspect of our relationship with God in the sense that we seek the Lord by like reading scripture. We seek the Lord in that way, but it's a passive relationship. The, 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 the way that the tree is, is getting like the nutrients that it needs, the way that the branches of the tree are growing, the way that the fruit grows, it, the tree isn't doing anything. You know, like what does a branch do? Like how does a branch grow? Does it just decide to grow? Or like I think of like, a, like those weird, like there's like reptiles that like can regrow like arms and stuff. Lizards, okay. Starfish can? Okay. Well, is the starfish just sitting there thinking, like, I really want to re- regrow a limb today? No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I, it's not. I can confirm that it's not. It's not. It just happens. The starfish isn't doing anything. To go back to the tree, the tree isn't doing anything. The branch doesn't do anything. The branch is just the recipient. It's passive. I think we get intimidated by Bible reading because we see it like, some textbook, but it isn't a textbook. It's this living word. The reason that he uses this example of a stream is not different from why the Lord says that the man does not live on bread alone, right? It's living water. The scriptures are not just like every, like a normal book that you read. The scriptures are a living word. It's like a tree planted by streams of water. It just, it always encourages me because I just think of like the immovability of that tree and like how the tree had nothing to do with being immovable, but it was just there anyway. The Lord's like providence in this, the Lord's love for us to, if we would plant ourselves, if we would just seek him, he will plant us and root us into the ground and give us what we need if we would just allow him to, if we would just rest in it and allow him to do that. It's almost the inverse process that we saw in verse one, where we saw that the wicked walks and they stand and then they sit. Well, here we see that this blessed man is planted and then he bears fruit and then he doesn't wither. He, he, he uh, it sustains, the life of this plant is sustained. So this first part, we have to be planted. 
Think about the parable where a man, when the man uh, built his house on sand and another on a rock. What happened to the one on the sand? Anyone remember? Huh? Fell down. Or what was it, the three pigs? Is that the other story? Very similar. Very similar story. Whenever the, uh, was it the house built of straw? Which honestly, like, that pig had to come in. Because, like, why would you build a house of straw? But no, anyway. I don't know. I didn't want to get into three pigs debate today. <laughs> no, but the one built on the rock survives. We have to plant ourselves in God's will. We have to have that foundation. That's the first step. This tree wasn't planted in shallow soil. It had deep roots. It also makes me think of whenever uh, Jesus talks about the seed that's thrown onto shallow soil or onto soil that had, like, I think it was on the path, where, like, the seed, would, it would grow. The plant would go pretty quick, and, like, fruit would grow, but the fruit was stunted because it wasn't deep enough. The foundation wasn't there. It wasn't rooted deep enough in the ground. Whenever we are rooted in God's word, next to that stream of living water, whenever we're rooted in that, we're going to see fruit in the right time. Sometimes we want to see fruit in our time. I say most of the time. We want to see God do things on our time and whenever we want God to move in our lives. But what we get whenever we plant ourselves in God's will is fruit in every season, which is good news for us. Because whenever we are pursuing wickedness, whenever we're on our own trying to do our own thing, like we might get some fruit whenever we want it, but it's not going to be good fruit. And whenever that fruit goes away, we're going to have nothing. There's not fruit whenever hard times hit. Like there's not going to be, there's not going to be that fruit to sustain us. But God promises that fruit in its season. There's always going to be fruit given to us if we're planted and rooted in the, in, uh, the scriptures. This means that sometimes God's going to ask us to wait whenever we don't want to wait on things. God's going to ask us to do hard, hard things. We're experiencing that right now in this group. We had a lot of seniors leave and we had some awesome seniors. And, the, and God's a, God asks us to, to uh, engage and go through those difficult transitions. That leads us to that last part where that leaf doesn't wither. I think that's the biggest difference between someone who walks in the counsel of the wicked, someone who's planted by streams of water. Like I said, you can find happiness and wickedness. Like that, you can do that for a time. You find satisfaction and happiness, but you can't find it in every season. The fruit only comes during the good seasons and then it withers. It goes away. When we're planted in God's will, there's fruit in every season and we will not wither away. We will be able to sustain. I think that's maybe the mark of the Christian faith. That has, or one of the biggest reasons that people come to the Christian faith is because they've experienced joy and happiness in other areas, but then they get to the lowest of lows and they're like, what is there here? What is there to be had there? Like, what am I supposed to do when everything is going poorly? So our posture as a Christian is so simple that we plant ourselves like a tree by streams of waters. We are meditating on him day and night, that we are in the scriptures. And whenever we do that, God is the one that does the work. He sends the water. He sends the fruit. He's the one that sustains us. And that ultimately pays off in the end because the wicked will perish. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous, as he says in verse 5. He says, The wicked will not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the wicked. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The ultimate result of righteousness and pursuing righteousness instead of wickedness is that the Lord provides provision and protection that he does not provide to the wicked, that is not there for the wicked. The writer says that the wicked will not stand judgment or they, that the sinner will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. 
He knows the way because he is the way. That's sort of the irony here, that he knows the way because he is the way. The righteous man that's spoken about in this is ultimately Jesus. Like, when, if you read this, there's some intimidation to it because you're like, well, I obviously don't meditate day and night on the law. I don't meditate day and night on the scriptures. But we can take away is that Jesus is that righteous man, the ultimate righteous man. We have to remember when we read something like this, especially in the Old Testament, that David, I'm pretty sure he's writing this, that David is someone who represents the coming Jesus. And then in the Old Testament, they weren't just like living their own, doing their own thing. And then Jesus comes and like upsets that plan. It was always leading to Jesus. So this, this psalm gives us this problem. It leaves us with this dilemma of, I want to be that righteous person, but I can't do it. I can't be that righteous person. Like we would read verse one and two and say, I'm so far from that. I walk in the counsel of the wicked. I stand in the way of sinners. I sit in the seat of scoffers. I don't delight in the law. Like that's how we would maybe read that. We read verses three to four and think, I really wanna be like that tree, but I don't know how to get there. Like I don't know how to do that. Or if we read verse six and think if I can't be righteous, like if I, he says he knows the way of the righteous. Well, if I can't know the way of the righteous, if I'm not doing that, then how Will the Lord know me? Like how? Because that's really what it's ultimately about. It's not necessarily about whether or not we know him. It's more about if he knows us. This idea that the, that the Lord knows the way of the righteous is more than just knowing about it. It means that the Lord knows the righteous with affection, with acceptance, with approval. So when we believe upon Jesus and follow him, the righteousness of Christ is given to us and he knows us. That's the ultimate paradox. We read a psalm like this and we're like, I can't do it. And Jesus is like, we, I, that's literally the point. That's the point. The result being that he protects us and covers us. The, the wicked don't have that protection. That we get the righteousness of Jesus whenever we believe upon him. So what I know from these last two verses is that the wicked are not going to get away with their wickedness. Like that's, that's just the reality. The wickedness will not get away with what they do. They're not going to get, at least I should say, they're not going to get away with it without repentance. They're going to be cut off from the congregation of the righteous, unable to experience the sort of community that they would crave, that they would desire. But those who belong to Jesus are known by Jesus. They are protected. His ways are our ways. I think, I don't remember what Psalm it says this in, but it talks about how if we commit ourselves to the Lord, he's going to establish our steps. That whenever we are planted like that tree next to streams of righteousness, we're thinking, I don't know like, where I'm supposed to go in life. Like, I, like if you're like a freshman in high school, that was kind of where I got, where, when I was a freshman, I was like, what do I do now? Like this life's starting to get somewhat real. Like I, what am I supposed to do? That especially happened after my senior year. I was like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing now. Like I don't know where I'm going. But whenever we're pursuing the Lord, whenever we are planted like that tree, he establishes those steps for us. Our, his ways become our ways if we would choose to believe that. So as we plant ourselves in righteousness and run from wickedness, as we read the word and grow in our knowledge and love for Jesus, the Lord's gonna guide us because he knows us. He accepts us. He has affection for us. That's such a, like, a crazy thing to, to understand. Like, listen, real quick. Focus up here real quick. Eyes up here. Super important for us to understand that as a Christian, or if you're a believer in this room, that your God knows you. Like he, like, knows you, knows you. Like, not like he knows the church as a group. Like, the individual. The, every individual in this room, God intimately knows. He knows what you struggle with. 
He knows what your pains are. He knows your sufferings. He knows your difficulties and the temptations of wickedness and the counsel of the wickedness. They don't know these things. They, they, they would say they have the answer. Wickedness and temptation says, I have the answer to your pain. Like, if you come over here, it's going to fix this pain or this suffering. But it doesn't know you. It does not know the internal desire to be one with our Creator to be in communion with our creator, to have something of a deeper relationship or a deeper purpose in life than what we can give ourselves. The sin that you're drawn to does not have your best interest in mind, ever. It does not have your best interest in mind. I think it's really ironic that it's like a sales pitch. Like I said, it's almost like I uh, compared it to the Bass Pro guy. Not that like... People working in Bass Pro have, like, bad intentions. But at the same time, like, that guy, like, trying to sell you on that stuff, like, trying to get you to stand with him and sit down, they're, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to convince you that you need it, but you might not need it. Like, maybe you do need it. Maybe you really need a weekend stay at the Radisson. Like, that might be true. That might be true. Yeah, there you go. It might be true. But the reality is that that guy is trying to convince me that I need something, not for my benefit, but for his benefit. That's what salespeople do. It's not a bad thing. It's a mutual thing. So I'm not saying that salespeople are bad. But I'm saying that it's for his benefit or her. They're trying to get to convince you that you need something. That's the same thing with sin. Trying to convince you. This counsel of the wicked is trying to convince you that you need something, that you need a fix, that you need an answer, which is true, you do need it. But it doesn't have the answer to it. Like it's the wrong one. When we are known by God, whenever we submit to him and surrender to him, we can know that he knows our best end, that he has our best, uh, our, our best interests in mind, that he's not out to get you. I like to say that a lot, that God is not this Riddler. He's not this dude that's like trying to like trip you up and see if you like be able to get through this like maze and like make him happy. Like almost like this guy like watching rats run around in like this maze. That's not who God is. He's not that hard to find. That's the irony. We're like, I don't, I don't know how to find him. He's not hard to find. He's easy to find. He has your best interest in mind. We have to choose to follow him, to believe that. If we be, it's only if we belong to him. That's the beauty of Psalm 1 is that this blessed man can be us if we choose that. In our pursuit of joy and happiness and contentment, we are given the choice to plant ourselves like a tree next to the living water or to chase after wickedness, to, be, to chase after the counsel of wickedness. So which one are you doing? Which one are you chasing? Which one were you pla- did you come in tonight planning to go home chasing? I think that the reason that I wanted to walk through this tonight was because, okay, the school year's starting, so it's kind of like, I think it's just relevant. But also because for the seventh graders starting in here, I know that this might be like overwhelming or different for you because this is like, this is like, a, I mean, I've been preaching for like 35 plus minutes. I know it's like not, it's different. It's like, it's like an adjustment. And I also know that whenever I was in seventh grade and listened to me as like, close as you can, I had no interest in what the guy was saying on stage, okay? Like, I didn't. Like, I get it, okay? I'm not, I, I remember being in seventh grade. Like, I was there, listen, I was not there to listen to what he, had, what he said on stage. I thought it was super, it, first starters, it was in this room, which is kind of cool. Um, but we had, instead of just an acoustic guitar and like this little drum, we had a full drum set, electric guitar, bass, and like an acoustic. And I love loud music. So literally, I just loved the music. I was like, this is awesome. It's like a rock show every single week. I cannot tell you 
a single thing. I don't remember a single thing that the youth pastor said when I was in seventh grade. So I fully understand. Like, I get it. But the reason that I want to start with this, and I think that it's good for your path, seventh grader, is that at some point, even though it doesn't seem like it's you, you're going to be a 12th grader. And you're going to be graduating. And I said this last week whenever our seniors left, or two weeks ago. Whenever seniors leave this group is whenever I'm the most terrified. Because that's whenever it's like, okay, let's see if we did it. <laughs> let's see if we did a good job. And I guess it's not just me. It's parents too, more so, I guess. But let's like see if it's going to stick. So this is, if there's a single thing that you're going to learn over your however long you spend in this youth group, it's this. That you have a choice to pursue righteousness or to pursue wickedness. That doesn't have to start whenever you're in 11th or 12th grade. It doesn't have to start after a bunch of mistakes. It can start now. Whatever capacity you have to do it. So if Jason would come up and if you would stand with me. We're just going to respond. Psalm 1, it outlines a shockingly easy formula for the Christian life. Sometimes we like to overcomplicate things. But this is not complicated. The man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but instead plants himself in the will of God, is blessed. It's so simple. So my challenge to you this semester and every semester and every day of your life is to do what this psalm tells us to do, that we should seek with all our hearts to be like that man in verse 3. That's why I love that verse so much. My desire every day, even though I struggle at it and there are days when I do not feel like it, but my desire is to be that tree planted and rooted in the ground. You know why? Because I know that's the best place for me. I know that whenever I'm planted in the ground, it is not myself that's planting me in the ground. I know that what I'm getting, this, the, the streams of water, that I, the nutrients that I'm getting from that, the fruit that I'm bearing from that, and the, the, my inability to wither away is sustainable because it's not reliant on me. Because like, I know I, for seventh graders coming in, like, there's maybe like a, I don't know how excited seventh graders get to come in the group, and there's like a, ooh, look at youth group. It's like, oh, it's so awesome. Listen, man, I'm not. Like this is like what are we what we're reading about today, like this Psalm 1-3, never just plant yourself by streams of water. There are so many days whenever I'm not that person. Whenever I'm planted in some other thing or, or chasing after some other thing, standing in the council or standing in the ways of sinners. But my goal is to be this person because I know that that's where sustainability comes from. That whatever lack of contentment or anxiety or depression that we might face, it's not solvable by that wickedness, but Verse three, like being planted by the streams of waters, they will fix those problems. That's where we'll find freedom in those things. So we should seek that with all of our heart. When we do that, the fruit's gonna come when it's due, not, not whenever we want it to, but whenever it's due. We're not gonna wither. In every season, the Lord will produce fruit. In every situation, the Lord won't allow us to wither. That's his promise to those who delight in him. And trust me whenever I say that, that is what you want in this life. That's what you want. Sometimes it's not gonna, the fruit's not going to come fast enough. And listen, I understand the impatience when God isn't answering prayer that you want him to answer. But for those who delight in him, we can trust that God's timing is always better than ours. So for the Christian tonight, maybe you, or it might be or it might be getting refocused. That might be sort of where we're at right now. But as school is starting back up, there's never a more important time to be meditating on the Lord day and night than whenever you're going back in your school, back into workplaces. For others, you might just be hungry to delight in the Lord and not doing it as well as you want to be. So, I'm gonna, so as we pray tonight, as we worship, ask the Holy Spirit to work in you tonight. Like reset your mind, reset your heart tonight. If you're not a Christian though in this room, that's the first step. Does the Lord know you? Because I say that when I say the Lord knows you, I'm saying it with the understanding that you're a Christian. 
But if you're not a Christian, like you need, the Lord needs to know you and you need to know the Lord. We can be righteous because Christ was sent by the Father for our sins. And then all we have to do is believe. That's the awesome part about this is that it's not relying in any way on ourselves. So if you haven't believed on Christ, please do that tonight. Talk to me. Grab Heather. Grab any, any friend here. Alex, Josh, talk to someone. Don't leave without Jesus tonight. Let's worship.